Thank you, Patrick. We're going to open up our Bibles now to the book of Philippians. Uh, just a short passage this morning. We're going to be dealing with the end of chapter 1, which is, uh, we're looking at verses 27 to 30. Um, it is a short section, but it kind of headlines the next, I guess, chapter and a half of the book of Philippians. So it's important that we get this bit right, which is why we're focusing on it today. So please turn there in your Bibles, and I'm going to invite Trevor up, and he's going to be reading those verses for us today. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle, you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So far the wording. And the reading. Thank you, Trevor. Appreciate it. Um, we're going to work through these verses. There's a there. It is a short passage, but there's a lot in there. We're going to we're going to pick apart the details. So keep your Bibles open. Uh, follow along. That way, you can see where we're up to. See where I'm getting this from, uh, and test <laughs> test what I'm saying as well. Um, now, the other day, I got a, a I got a message um, out of the blue from an old school friend, um, just through Facebook, she just sent me a message, hadn't seen her in, I don't know, 15 years at least, uh, and then, then a message. Um, I was pretty curious, really interesting to see what she's up to, what was, uh, she's been doing. Um, so I opened it, and this is how it started, this is what it read. Hi, I just wanted to let you know that I'm now a consultant with, and I'll redact the name of the business, if you need any beauty essentials or would just simply like a consult, be sure to be in touch with me. <laughs> Sent to Julian and 148 others. It's wonderful, isn't it? Okay, my friend is now part of a multi-level marketing strategy or a pyramid scheme as we know them. Delightful. What, a, what, a, what great news. Uh, what's even more depressing is the way that their entire social media presence has just completely changed overnight. Um, their stories are all, you know, specials on the latest products from Company X. Uh, their posts are, you know, I'm so thankful for my uh, all-natural, 100% vegan, organic, ethical, super-moisturising 5-in-1 face cream. Of course, I'm very sure you're very, very thankful for that wonderful product. It's, it's, it's awful, isn't it? Like, I don't know if your friends have gone down this path. It's, it's just kind of depressing. This person goes from being a contact who you are vaguely interested in to this super depressing and annoying walking advertisement for their brand. It's just like, I don't need that. Mute. <laughs> it's 
see you later. <laughs> I don't need that in my life. It's all promotion and it's, it's pretty sickening, isn't it? But here's the tricky thing. In this passage that we just read, Paul says that our lives, as Christians, our lives should be all about promotion. <laughs> that they should be all about the promotion of the gospel of Jesus in good times and in hard times, all about promoting him. <laughs> but what does that mean? Uh, how, does, how does that work? And how do we do that without becoming like my friend, this, you know, kind of shallow walking advertisement? Is that what we're all about? You know, all of our social media posts have to be verses and now uh, we only ever talk about promoting Jesus. And, you know, is, is that what we are? Is that how this works? Or does it mean something else? Well, let's find out. Uh, let's find out what it is that Paul means by that, using these verses that he's given us today. Now, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, you'll remember that uh, we, we saw Paul's description of his own life and what was driving him to do and to say some really incredible things. You know, he, he, he shared that gospel-centeredness of him. To, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he, he showed us how rich the gospel is and how that can be possible for us as well. Well, now he turns his attention back to his audience and he says, what about you? This is what it looks like for you. And we pick it up in verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Now that whatever happens is, is literally the word only. <laughs> only this. This is, this is the one thing. This is the bottom line that I, that I want for you, that I'm looking for you, whether I'm with you or whether I'm apart from you and just hearing about you. This, this is it. This is where you start. One thing, live worthy of the gospel. Live a life that fits with, that works with, that is worthy of Jesus. One that is worthy of him. Not, not, you know, like an aspiring footy player who trains really hard, who's at all team functions and, you know, hoping one day to get chosen for the seniors. But you're on the team. You're part of it. So live up to what you are part of. Play it out. That's what your life should look like. A gospel life. What does that mean? Well, there are three uh, parallel instructions that Paul fills it out with. And trace it with me. Look again uh, through verse 27. There's three things. Living uh, worthy of the gospel means standing firm in the one spirit. It means striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. And thirdly, it means all of that without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Those are the three things. That's, that's this worthy of the gospel life. Standing firm, striving together, not being afraid. Standing on the truth of the gospel, that is, not being moved from it, um, not, not shifting, uh, not uh, drifting from it, but established and solid and deeply rooted in the gospel. Standing on the gospel, but striving in it as well. It's kind of an odd picture, you know, standing still, but also moving forwards, you know, use your imagination. Um, firming the gospel, but desiring, seeking its growth, pursuing its advance. 
looking for a depth in maturity, but also looking for outward spread, growth in numbers, seeing that the gospel will keep going forwards. And doing all of that without shrinking back. When opposition arises, as it will, not being shaken by that, not being frightened by that, but being sure, sure in your standing, sure in your striving, without literally, without flinching. Don't flinch. Um, when I was in grade 10, uh, we were on school camp and uh, the guys in the camp, we invented a game. Um, had kind of a crude name, so I won't share that with you. But basically, the game was very simple, as most guys' games are, which we invent. Uh, two teams line up opposite each other, shoulder to shoulder, facing each other. And we had a vortex. I don't know if you know what, like a vortex, one of those little foam rocket things with the whistles that you throw. We had a vortex and you threw it at each other. Like I said, simple game. <laughs> and the goal was, stand still. Uh, you were allowed to place your hands strategically over what you valued, um, but once you had placed your hands, uh, you weren't allowed to flinch. Anyone who moved, regardless of whether they were struck or not, uh, was out. Don't flinch. It was that simple. And that's what Paul says here. Stuff's going to come at you. Don't flinch. Don't shrink back. Don't be afraid by what might come your way for the gospel. When opposition arises, when there's aggression or pressure to stop, don't waver. Keep standing. Keep striving forwards. Now that's a big call, isn't it? I mean, standing on the gospel, striving for the gospel is hard enough, not flinching when opposition comes as well. How do we do this? How could we ever live up to that standard? It seems so high. Well, the clue is in the word that Paul uses. Now, it's a little subtle, um, but it's there back at the start of verse 27. Just look at the start of verse 27 again with me. He says, he uses the words in this translation, conduct yourselves. Now, the word is literally, live as citizens. Live as citizens. That is, live out your citizenship in the gospel. That's the key here. You are gospel citizens live up to it. Now we don't really think of our citizenship too much. Um, once upon a time when we could travel, we were reminded of it when we took our passports out. Um, you know, at the Olympics, we, we, I guess, are reminded again we should cheer for those yellow and green guys, not the South African yellow and green guys, but the Australian yellow and green guys. Sorry, South Africans. Uh, but if you lived in Philippi, you were aware of citizenship. This was a live issue, okay? Uh, Philippi, which was miles away from Rome, was a Roman colony. Uh, Rome had won a big battle nearby. They said, you guys are great, you're on our side. We are going to bestow upon you the honour of becoming a Roman colony. And that means if you were in Philippi, if you were born in that city, you were a Roman citizen. Rome had kind of adopted you and had given you that gift. And that mattered. Because Rome was the superpower of the day. And if you held their citizenship... There were all sorts of privileges and assurances that came your way. I mean, you couldn't be flogged or crucified, you know, if you did the really wrong thing. Probably not a benefit too many people used. But there were others as well. Um, you could trade, you, could, uh, you, you had economic assurances, you had benefits and, and social securities and all these sorts of things that came along with this citizenship. Uh, it, it mattered. You were a citizen of the empire. Well, Paul says to these Christians and to us, 
you are gospel citizens. You're citizens of a new kingdom. Uh, when you came to believe in Jesus, your nationality drastically shifted. Now, you've, you've been issued a new passport. And Jesus is your king now. And what a gift this is. See, the privileges and assurances that go along with this go far beyond Roman, uh, Roman uh, citizenship. We, Paul's written of them already. You have Jesus' presence with you, his spirit living in you. You have his love lavished upon you, his care and provision for you. You have an assurance that goes in life even beyond into death. You are citizens and that's what you get. You became citizens the moment you came to believe in Jesus. Um, you belong to a kingdom. It's not seen as of yet, but it is powerful and beautiful and wonderful. It's a kingdom that's growing. It's a kingdom that's everlasting. It's a kingdom where perfection will one day be realized. It's a kingdom where life forever is possible, is given. <laughs> You've not earned that citizenship. It's, in, it's entirely a gift. Um, Jesus bought your entry with his own blood. He's the one who passed that immigration exam for you so that you can come in. And all you had to do was say, yes, I'm his. I believe and you're in. And you're in forever, never to be thrown out. That's your citizenship. It's not, you know, every man for himself as if we're, you know, desperately rushing off as individuals, but together in and for the gospel and for this new country, this new nation that we're part of. And that, that's who we are. We're here as an outpost of Jesus' kingdom. <laughs> we're, we're gathered here as citizens of him and of the gospel. And so let's ask of ourselves Paul's question. Are you, are we, living a life worthy of the gospel? Are we conducting ourselves, are we living as citizens in a way that is worthy of the gospel that we've been given? Are we all about standing firm in the gospel, unmoved, established, deeply rooted in it? Are we all about striving forwards, you know, eagerly seeking out the growth of this gospel? Are we unflinching in that? Not shaken, not shrinking back when things get hard, but continuing. Are those the things we value in our church? Are those the things that we are seeking in our church? You know, are they number one on our agenda of who we are? Because Paul says that's the one thing, that's the, that's the bottom line of life of citizens, of the life of citizens worthy of the gospel. Is that how you look at our church? Is that, is that what you value about this and about us? I mean, let, let's, let's consider this, let's paint the picture. I mean, consider what this looks like, a, a church uh, rich in gospel ministry. Where, where people, and not just a few, but most people, all of us, loving and serving one another together in the one spirit that we've been given, speaking the word in our connects or in our Bible study reading partnerships or in our, in our conversations around coffee or wherever we meet, because we're eager, eager to grow and be strong and firmly rooted in this gospel, not, not apart from each other as individuals, but together for the sake of one another. A church that's 
deeply rooted in the gospel, but that is striving for its advance and its growth as well. Striving not only that we would grow in our maturity, but that so many others would hear of this faith and come to faith. A church in which you know, evangelism is, is the priority. It's the first thing we put in on our calendar and in our budget. It just saturates who we are. That we are all about connecting with new people and introducing them to Jesus. A church that doesn't shrink back from the cost. That when the bottom line hits is not dismayed, isn't shaken when it's mocked or unpopular or flinching when things are hard, but continues. Firm standing, eager striving, gospel-centred. That's what we want for our church, isn't it? <laughs> that's, that's what we want to be. A church that, that people with lives worthy of this great gospel that we've been given. Well, if that sounds good, then let, it be, let yourself be shaped by it. Let the way that you think about church be shaped by this passage, by this one thing that Paul's sharing with us. Look at our church like that, not just as a place which is comfortable, which is people you like and which does things that you like. Those are good things, absolutely. But see this place as a gospel place, an outpost of Jesus' kingdom, a colony of heaven, a place where its values are first. That's the life worthy of gospel citizenship. That is living out who we are in Jesus and living to promote him. Now, the thing about this life is, it's a life that's noticed. Uh, it's obvious. It's not only is it a gospel promotion in intention, but it's a gospel promotion in observation. And Paul, Paul goes on to unpack that. He says, when people see you living like this, they're going to notice. It's going to be different. It's going to stick out. And that matters. It matters because it's a sign. It's a sign to the world, to opposition, of destruction, but it's a sign to you of the gospel surety that you have. Uh, let's, let's see that. It's in the second half of verse 28 through, the, through to verse 30. This, the, the life that he's described, this is a sign to them, that opposition, that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. When you live this way out, when you live your, your new citizenship in the gospel, when you practice these things, it matters and it's a sign. It's, it's something visible which speaks to others. It's a sign to your opposition, that is those outside of the kingdom, a sign that you are standing for that, that as you promote the gospel... Uh, it's telling them that they're on the wrong side. As they see you living that out, as they see you standing firm, advancing the gospel, unflinching in that, it's a sign to them that, as Paul says, destruction is coming, that they're in the wrong. I mean, say for, okay, say for example, uh, you're digging in the garden. I wouldn't recommend it at the moment. It's too wet. But anyway, you're digging in the garden uh, and you encounter a rock right where you want to plant your new tree. It's a big rock, um, but you want your plant there, so you try to shift it. 
So you dig around it, uh, you, you, know, you hit it with your crowbar to see if you can break it up, um, you, you start levering it to try and move it, uh, and give it a couple of hours, and now your spade is warped, uh, your pick handle is cracked, and your crowbar is bent, uh, and your back is shot. <laughs> and the rock, it's still there. <laughs> your plant's going somewhere else. Uh, you're defeated. <laughs> And Paul's saying something similar happens with the gospel when, and with gospel opposition. As we stand in the gospel, as we strive for the gospel, as we continue unflinching and sure against all opposition, it becomes soon, it becomes a, a, apparent soon that those who stand against you are defeated because the gospel is unmoved. And we who are rooted and deeply established in it are also unmoved. He says, your, your endurance, your standing and your striving says clearly the gospel wins. It's a, it's a part of our gospel promotion. And it says to the world, you're trying the wrong thing. You're going the wrong way. And ultimately, it's a sign of destruction. Hopefully that they'll realize and acknowledge and repent of. But that's what it says. But the sign is twofold. It's a sign to your opposition of destruction, but it's a sign to you of your salvation. See, our ability to keep going in the gospel, to endure and to continue and to advance, that, that's a sign to us, a reminder to us that we are really saved. Not by what we're doing, not by our, our great ability in doing this all so well, but by God. <laughs> who saved us already. It's a sign that we're plugged into him, who is so much bigger and stronger and better. And we, we had it on a, a property we used to live on once. Every spring, uh, big gravel car park, every spring, suckers uh, would spring up from poplar trees. You know, absolutely everywhere. There'd be dozens of these things. And, you know, you, you, every spring you, you, can, you pull them up, you cut them down, you poison them, you stomp them, and every spring they just keep coming back. They just that mean they can't be beaten. Not because they're so strong. I mean, you're talking about a foot-high little plant here. They're strong because they're connected to those poplar trees over there, you know, unfortunately over the neighbour's side of the fence. That's their strength. And so it is with us. Our gospel living, our standing and our striving and our continuing confidently in the gospel, it's a sign to us that we're connected into something bigger. We're connected into someone bigger. It's a sign that our God is great, not that we're amazing. It's a sign that He is amazing. It's a sign of the life that we have in Him already in Jesus, a life that can't be taken away. And in fact, Paul says, this, this suffering for the gospel, this opposition, it isn't as much an obstacle to us as it's a gift. I don't know if you noticed that there, but it's such a peculiar word. For it has been granted to you, that is, graciously given to you, not only to believe in Jesus, but also to suffer for him. One of God's gifts to his people is to believe, and another is to suffer. To pay the cost for following him. Um, this is how Don Carson puts it. Uh, talking about the church here, if, if their salvation has been secured by the suffering of another on their behalf, their discipleship is to be demonstrated in their own suffering on his behalf. Jesus has suffered and given his life for our life. 
and he has given to us that we would suffer and give our lives for him. That we would suffer for his behalf. It's a privilege that we share on his death on our behalf. It's a privilege that we share in his suffering. There is a cost to gospel living here. There is a cost to living for Jesus. Now look, if you pay that price for making dumb choices, that means nothing. Uh, If you pay that price for being really obnoxious about Jesus, that means nothing. Um, If you pay the price for standing on, on your own hobby horses, it counts for nothing. It's of no benefit. But if you pay the price for living for Jesus, for putting his gospel first, that is God's gift to you. For your growth, for your assurance, and for your confidence that you belong to Jesus. Paul says that is part of our gospel promotion. That is part of our worthy gospel citizenship to pay the cost for living for Jesus, for promoting the gospel. Is that a cost you are willing to pay? And will you see that, that cost? Not as a sign of disaster or a sign that you're on the wrong track, but as a sign of your discipleship and your belonging to him. Do others see you paying that price? Now, that's not to say that we have to go out there and do it really ostentatiously so as many people as, as possible notice uh, how costly our life is. That's, that's just ridiculous. But is, is it apparent? Do, that, do they see that sign in you, your gospel endurance, as you pay the price for following Jesus? Is it a sign to them there's, there's something different about you that you just keep going in this? You're, you're still standing on it. You're still advancing. You're, you're not flinching from it. Do they see that? It's a cost that could come to us in many ways, isn't it? Perhaps it could come up at your work. All sorts of things could bring it up. Maybe it's the question of same-sex marriage or of gender uh, issues or, or whatever it might be. And, you know, you, you can't speak of it in the same way as your colleagues do. And it, it makes you a pariah. It makes you an outcast. But, but that's not how they do it in Jesus' kingdom. So will you pay the cost? Maybe it could come in sport. <laughs> That's a tough one. You know, the roster shifts to a Sunday or training moves to a Bible study night or whatever the, the, the cost would be, and you need to weigh it up. Is, is it good for me? Is this right for me? Or is this a gospel cost I need to pay? Even if it costs me a place in the seniors or a spot on the bench. What does my gospel citizenship look like there? Will I need to pay the price there? It might come up with your friends. It might be a point of conflict as you catch up. You know, you have conversations about values or over life priorities. And your worthy gospel citizenship rubs up against your friends. Will you stand for it? Even if it means being ghosted? Maybe the cost comes when you stay true to the gospel, even though it's countercultural, even though it's wrong in the eyes of the world. Maybe it comes as you keep on talking about Jesus and trying to share him and invite people to church, even though that's really draining and and it seems so fruitless. Maybe it comes as you bear up under ridicule, as family or friends turn their back on you and you continue 
to be gracious and kind and show love. We are called to promote the gospel in the entirety of our lives. But gospel promotion comes with a cost. But not the cost of your life. Not at the cost of your life. Every cost that you pay for Jesus is a reminder. It's an assurance that you are in Jesus. That he is your life. That to live is Christ and to die is gain. Gospel citizenship means gospel promotion wherever we are, however we are. Um, Not rudely or desperately, like my pyramid scheme-trapped friend, but hopefully and confidently and positively and gladly standing firm in this great gospel news, seeking its advance that more and more people would be joined to this good news and doing it despite opposition. Confident that we share in Jesus in his life, and in his sufferings. We are all about the gospel and all about promoting the gospel regardless of what happens. That is the gospel-worthy life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to live lives that are worthy of your gospel. Father, it is such an incredible message. Um, it, it tells us again and again that we, we belong to you, that we are, we are part of your kingdom, that you have welcomed us in, forgiven us so that we can come in, that we are part of your life with the hope of eternity. Father, this, this message is incredible. We are so thankful for it. And we ask that our lives would be in step with it that you would help us to live worthy of it. Help us to be passionate, to stand together in your gospel, unwavering from it, but, but ever growing deeper and stronger and more rooted in it. We pray that you would help us to strive for your gospel, that we would be all about the advance of it, that more and more people would hear your name and become part of your kingdom. We pray that we would stand for it even when it's hard that we wouldn't see opposition as being scary or a sign that we're doing something wrong, that instead we would patiently endure as a sign of our being in Jesus. Father, help us in this, we pray. Be our strength that we can live this way, that our lives, that our church would look more and more like this and that you would be not only known but praised in and through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.